Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here. This is Season 10 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP, our longest running Game Changers series. And I will say if you want to run with the Game Changers, this is it. This is the best place because this is where you want to be. This is where the best run. We have a very, very, very serious topic for you today. We're, by the way, broadcasting live on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy to be here. And this topic is so important that you as a company, whoever you are, our business listeners all over the world, you may not be able to continue doing business if you don't pay attention to this. That's a little bit of a warning. It's not a threat, but this is an important topic. So let me start off with buzz quote number one. I found a quote from an Accenture Security Third State of Cyber Resilience report posted on ironnet.com. Listen to this. Indirect attacks against weak links in the supply chain. Let that sink in. Weak links in the supply chain now account for 40% of security breaches. That's buzz number one. Buzz number two is a quote from CR, I'm sorry, csrc.nist.gov. Okay, and here we go. This is cybersecurity in the supply chain. You're getting the message now. Cybersecurity in the supply chain cannot be viewed as an IT problem only. Cyber supply chain risks touch sourcing, vendor management, supply chain continuity and quality, transportation security, and many other functions across the enterprise and require a coordinated effort to address. Just let all of that sink in for a second. We're talking risk management supply chain here. So let me give you a bigger, broader overview, and then I will ask my three esteemed guests to introduce themselves. In a renewed focus on supply chain risk management and protection, and to vet their supplier's cybersecurity maturity. That may be a new term to you, cybersecurity maturity. The U.S. Department of Defense, DOD, and federal government have established what's called the CMMC. You want to write this down, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Direct suppliers and others will be required to reach a prescribed level of maturity and be certified by a third party in order to qualify to do business with state and federal agencies. That's why I said it could impact your company in a very serious way. But even more important, industry observers expect these requirements will be adopted in the commercial space to mitigate supply chain risk there as well. So heads up to all CFOs wherever you are. Not attaining CMMC certification for your supply chain cybersecurity may impact your ability to drive revenue and to do business. We have a lot to talk about today. I have three esteemed guests. As I said, we have Keon J. Williams at Class LLC. He'll tell us in a minute what his company does. We have Kang Lim at Next Labs. Kang, you haven't been on with me in a couple of years. Welcome back. And we have another returning guest, Anne-Marie Colombo at SAP. I'm going to ask them for their take on CFOs. Get ready for cybersecurity maturity model certification. Again, I'm Bonnie D. Graham in the house here. Let's get started. Keon Williams, you're a newcomer to Game Changers. We're so happy to have you. I'm going to put you on speaker view and ask you to please honor us with your bio, a little bit about your company, and what's your passion for this topic. Keon, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, a little bit about the company, and then I'll say nothing else about it. My company is a management consulting firm, so we spend a lot of time focusing on strategy and governance. For me as a person, 
I was in the military, and so I appreciate what the Department of Defense is doing with CMMC. I worked at the Centers for Disease Control for 12 years, so I understand things from a government perspective. But I am blessed to travel around the world, helping companies and organizations figure out the strategic part of cybersecurity, which is always a lot of fun. And so thinking about your policy and your plans and your programs is what I have the pleasure of doing across multiple industries. And I'm glad to be here because you focus on CFOs. Most of these things can't happen if the chief financial executive doesn't understand the impact and doesn't invest properly in the solutions that are going to make a difference. And so I'm glad to be here and to share my ideas. Thank you very much, Keon. I have a question for you. Is this breaking news, the CMMC? Is this something that our listening audience is going to say, what? Never heard of it. Why should I bother? Is this like, yeah, I know. Okay, tell me more. Where, where, where do you think the, the spectrum falls for our, our global listeners? What do you think? It depends on where your organization sits in the defense industrial-based marketplace. The direct contractors, the very large Defense firms have known about it since the beginning because they're following the defense regulations and the acquisition standards. The people who are going to be most impacted are the smaller organizations that are either subcontractors, and so they haven't heard about it because they're not directly affected, or people that work in machine shops that say, oh, well, you know, I'm not running an IT organization. This doesn't really matter for me, but it is going to be impactful for every type of organization that has any access to what the Department of Defense defines as controlled unclassified information. And that includes 350,000 companies globally based on current estimates. Thank you. So just a few, just a, a cherry picking a few out of our <laughs> audience. Yes, thank you. I wanted to get that impact statement out there because I knew you'd be able to handle it. Thank you, Keon. Kang Lim is smiling. Kang, we're so happy to have you back. It's been a couple of years. Welcome back. Would yes. you please do me the honor of reintroducing yourself in case somebody doesn't remember you and your company? Tell us a little bit about Next Labs and what's your passion for the topic, Kang? Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. This is, uh, my name is Kang Lim. I'm the founder and CEO of Next Labs. So NextLab is my fifth company. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. So um, too many people, too, too many of my friends says I'm being around a corner one time too many. Because there's only four corners <laughs> in a square. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, you know, I started NextLab uh, 15 years ago um, with, a, you know, with a very simple idea, which you know, uh, is to, to be able to save to make data safe to share and consume anyway. You know, I thought it was a simple problem, turned out to be a difficult one, and it changed and become increasingly more complex every year, in, you know, especially in this environment where people are working from anywhere, you know, the economies are becoming more digital, cyber you know, threat is increasing. So, uh, so it's been fun. So over the last 15 years, I have spent a lot of time working with now over 100 global brands, many of the largest federal agencies and military organizations in the world, trying to keep data safe. Make sure that when you share the data, it is safe. So CMMC essentially applied to that same very simple principle, which is how do you share data with your supply chain partners while keeping it safe? 
And that's the bottom line. Thank you very much. The question of data, 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 data. People say data is the new oil. I've heard that disputed because oil is a not a use and reuse and reuse, but data can be can be used and stored and changed and analyzed and and looked at in different ways and used old and new in so many different ways. So thank you very much. I'm glad you emphasized that, King, and welcome back, Anne Marie Colombo. It hasn't been that long. I think you were on a show with me just last summer. We're happy to have you back. Anne-Marie, I'm guessing there might be 9.3 people who don't remember you. Yeah. Shame on them. <laughs> I, well, all right, 10.3 people. I want you to talk, especially the point three. I want you to talk to them, refresh their memory on what you do, what your passion is for this topic, and welcome back, Anne-Marie. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. Anne-Marie Colombo. I'm a cybersecurity solution advisor at SAP. I'm on an executive advisory team focused on this topic uh, in the office of the CIO, and um, been working in security for 14 years and active in the Information System Security Association, which is where I met Keon uh, for the first time a number of years ago when I joined. And um, and I, uh, from a topic perspective, identity access management and uh, threat detection are a couple areas that I'm interested in and have been working in uh, with with SAP and um, and uh, interesting work. I'm currently working with our regulated industries uh, group and of course that's where A&D defense and healthcare, uh, state and local uh, governments fall in that that um, that industry so it's been really interesting of course some of those have been under attack like the healthcare and the education systems because they were seen as weak but CMMC started to come out a few years back and uh, the A and D group was very interested um, because this does impact uh, SAP customers. And so we wanted to get on top of it from an SAP perspective. So I've been working with it for a couple of years now. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Lovely to have you back. I have a question for the panel. I don't usually ask questions, but I have to. When I opened with that report on IronNet, let me read it. Just raise your hand if you agree that it's 40%. And, if, and then I'll ask you, is it more than 40%? Indirect attacks against weak links in the supply chain account for 40% of security breaches. And we just know there was a gasoline pipeline attack, what, just about a week ago that created havoc. I'm in the southeast of the U.S. and I saw the lines waiting for gas. And even though the supplies open, people are still waiting. They, it, it created this sense that there was a scarcity. So does there, anybody agree that that's just 40%? You think it's 40%? Anybody think it's more than 40%? Raise your hand. King thinks it's more than 40%. Anne-Marie, where are you on that? I, I would guess around 40%. I should have raised my hand quicker. That's okay. And Keon, you think it's 40% too? Okay. All right. So that's a number. Can we live with that number? That's what we're trying to get reduced, right? We're trying to get lower. Than. Kang, where do you think it is? If it's not 40, what do you think? 50? I think it's higher than 40. So I think a lot of the a lot of attack hasn't been reported, to be honest. That's true. Yeah. And then if you're talking about further down the supply chain, uh, you know the you know, the defense is getting weaker. So uh, and the problem with the data as it flow, you know, the farther it goes, the wider it becomes. It's just you mm-hmm. know, data is like water; it can go anywhere. Once it leaks, it get bad. 
That, that's absolutely true. It can go anywhere. Thank you very much. This is the part of the show. Next, I'm going to move on to the quotes. I've asked my guest to send mm-hmm. me a quote from a movie, from a song, not from a real person. And I'm going to, I will read the quote with a little bit of background and ask them, the person who sent it, to explain in their own words how they think it does relate to our topic. So Keon Williams has sent us a quote from Marcus Burnett, Bad Boys, a 1995 American action comedy film. And it was the feature debut of director Michael Bay. I'm sure that's important to somebody. Uh, It gained a cult following and it spawned the Bad Boys trilogy, which includes Bad Boys 2 and Bad Boys for Life. I like that one. So here we go. Here the quote is, my stuff in parentheses always works Sometimes, Keon, I have to use that. I have to use that in everyday speech. That's a good one. Keon, where'd you find this one? And what in the world does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. So the, the funny thing about the quote is that the context is Bad Boys is a law enforcement movie. So you got two police detectives mm-hmm. and they're always going around trying to solve crimes. But like law enforcement, cybersecurity doesn't have a best answer in all situations. And so Marcus was hollering that my stuff always works sometimes because they had an approach to solve a problem and is not 100%. But there is no silver bullet or 100% answer for cybersecurity. We have frameworks, we have approaches, we have industry best practices, but it's always going to depend upon the situation that you're dealing with, the resources that you have available to respond, the constraints facing your organization, you know. Maybe I have a million dollars for security. Maybe I have a dollar for security. And so all of those nuances are going to come together and influence the outcome. And so this has been my favorite quote as a parent, as a board member, as a soldier, and as a risk management executive, it is a great quote that applies to multiple contexts. I appreciate that. That's a new one to me. I'm not familiar with the movie. I'm going to have to find it streaming somewhere. Thank you. We look, Keon, the reason I ask people to send this rather than quoting Churchill or Gandhi, we did that, Anne-Marie Wright, we did that for years on these shows. Quote somebody famous. Okay, how many times can we quote Einstein and Gandhi and Churchill and JFK? That's one. Marie Curie, Maya Angelou. Yes. Okay. And misquote Darwin all the time. Um, the reason is that it, it sparks this little cultural something, this little, this little nuance that says, oh, like me, I want to see that movie. But it also gives us insights into what theater, what movies, what songs have said about who we are and where we are in in the civilization. I'm getting a little philosophical here. But if you go with a movie quote like that, Keon, it's something that we can think of and use in everyday life. My stuff always works sometimes. How many people uh, think of Shark Tank? (laughs) How many people have said my prototype always works sometimes? I'm going to move on. Keon, thank you. That has become one of my new favorite quotes. I appreciate this. Kang Lim has sent us a quote. Oh, an iconic movie, Dead Poets Society. 1989 American teen drama film. And when I read that teen drama, it was much bigger than a teen drama. It was a societal drama. Robin Williams, who left us, oh, way too soon. Let me just give a little background here. Autumn 1959, Chai Todd Anderson begins his senior year of high school at an all-male elite prep school in Vermont called the Welton Academy. He is assigned one of their most promising students as his roommate. He meets blah, blah, blah. On the first day of classes, here we go. They're surprised by the unorthodox teaching method of the new English teacher, John Keating, who encourages his students. And here's the line. I watched the clip. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. (laughs) Kang, love this quote, too. This is iconic as well. Talk to me. How'd you pick this for our topic today? 
who won't be inspired, right? I mean, yes. yes. I mean, Robin Williams and his spirit of his love of teaching. Yes. So uh, encouraging people to not be afraid to solve the difficult problems, right? So to some extent, that apply very well to cybersecurity. I think most people think cybersecurity is hard to solve, difficult to solve, and you tend to stay away from it, right? So, you know, the way I look at this is, you know, seize the opportunity, take CMMC as opportunity instead of a problems, right? Trying to go out there and tackle a problem, do the extraordinary, right? Get your business ready to be, you know, get your business cyber ready because the business that's cyber ready is future ready. So there'll be a lot more business coming. Your business will grow better if you're willing to tackle the problem. It's not just about money. I think the problem can be tackled without a lot of budget or money. So I think people tend to think that in order to address CMMC, it may take, it may take a long time or cost a lot of money, but it doesn't necessarily need to be, like, need to be that. Thank you very much. A wonderful quote. I appreciate that one. Anything from Robin Williams movies is how, how many were there. Uh, Keon, I think you, when you greeted me this morning before we started the show, he said, what did you say? Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> Robin, Robin Williams movies are everywhere. There you go. Thank you, Kang. Anne-Marie has sent us a wonderful quote also from a song by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Running Down a Dream. Let me read the lyric because the title of the song is in the lyric. Running down a dream that never would come to me, working on a mystery, going wherever it leads. That's beautiful, Anne-Marie. Talk to me. How did you find that one deep, deep in the songs of Tom Petty? This is good. Talk to me. Go ahead. It is. It is a great song about life and a journey and making sure that you have a vision or a dream for your life to get started. And I, I love the, the quote of working on a mystery and leading wherever it goes, because I think you have to be flexible and take advantage of any opportunities, but have that dream to get you started on the journey and then be flexible along the way. And uh, from a, how it relates to CMMC, right? This is, um, I think, having a vision from a CMMC perspective, the, the federal government, the A&D group, um, Department of Defense, rather, has this vision of, um, of uh, supply chain security. And they, they put that vision out there. They've been working on it for a number of years with the uh, DFARS and the um, NIST 800-171, and they continue to um, evolve it and be flexible. So now we see mm -hmm. that um, because the self-attestation didn't really um, get them where they wanted to go, they've been flexible and moved to, okay, now we need to put in place something to actually do certification and make sure. So they, they pivoted, they had the vision and then they pivoted and were flexible. And I, another part of the song that I like, he talks about being in the rain and putting the um, pedal to the metal to get through, I think working harder to get where you need to go at the end of the journey. And you're always going to go through some bad times. And we've seen some missteps through CMMC as they've gotten started, but they've kept that vision alive. And I think it is, um, you know, they're working towards the end state and the vision, and we are going to see this in place soon. 
Thank you very much. I want to thank all three panelists for your work in finding really interesting quotes. I appreciate that. These Mm -hmm. three are iconic. And Tom Petty also left us way too soon, Mm -hmm. accidentally, after the Heartbreakers 40th anniversary tour. I learned so much by looking up the background of all of your your sources. I, I appreciate that. It's fun for me. So now let's get to the really serious part of the show. But we have been serious with a smile already. Keon Williams has sent me the following statement. I've asked just for the listeners, if you're new, I ask my guests in advance to send me four statements on the topic that I can pick and read, and then we're going to go around the table and do a conversation. So I picked one, statement number one from Keon. I'm going to read it because it's brief. Keon will unpack it, as they say on the news, for about three minutes, and then I will go to Kang Lim and ask Kang to agree or disagree, get his thought leadership for another three minutes, and then Anne-Marie Colombo. I'll go back to Keon and ask him if he has anything to say back to them. Then I'll pick a statement from Kang, go around the table in the same order, and one from Anne-Marie, and let's see where we go. So here, let's get started. Statement number one from Keon, J. Williams. And do we, do we know what the J stands for, Keon? Do we need to know? <laughs> Jamal, it was my mom's bright idea. Oh, that's, I like that. Okay, Jamal. So I'll just call you Keon. Here we go. The Department of Defense has always made supply chain risk management a priority. CMMC transforms optional compliance into a program that includes third-party attestation. That's a word Anne-Marie just used, comparable to established commercial frameworks. Let's talk about that third-party and the fact that it's no longer optional. Keon, talk to me. For the benefit of the audience, knowing that most of our participants are chief financial officers, I assume everybody's familiar with that ridiculousness known as Sarbanes-Oxley. <laughs> and so if, you, if we ignore CMMC for just a moment and we just focus on Sarbanes-Oxley, there are all kinds of third-party attestations that have to be done, where an auditor comes in, they look at your program, they verify that, they do, that you as a company are doing what's supposed to be done, and then if they have findings, they document the deficiencies. The difference between Sarbanes-Oxley and the original approach that the Department of Defense was using was that there was no third-party evaluation. And so if we still focus on SOX, if you allow me to put my financial controls in place and then verify that my controls are effective, human nature means that I'm going to say that I'm always awesome every time I do something and I never find a problem with anything that I've done. And that's really the problem that the DOD was trying to solve and the change in the approach. They always cared about security, but we have empirical evidence from all kinds of compromises where warfighters on the battlefield are encountering things that look like U.S. designed weapons. You know, there's a case from years ago where it wasn't a direct theft, but a third party that was producing an attack helicopter was compromised the adversary was able to take those plans and now people that were fighting against in some situations have an attack helicopter that looks like a u.s attack helicopter part of that is the result of just self certification and saying that yes everything that i did is awesome and there's nothing to see here but you always have better results when a third party who is independent unbiased doesn't really care and is just verifying that you've met the standard comes in and evaluates what have you done Was it done to the right level? The other benefit of CMMC, when you talk talk about the third-party attestation, is that they've divided it into five levels. And so the five levels are reasonable based on the type of information that you have 
If it's very basic information that is not extremely sensitive, CMMC level one is the first hurdle to overcome. And then it's a progressive model that goes up to level five, where it's really only going to be the major defense contractors who are working on weapon systems directly that have to achieve level four or level five. But there is an ecosystem where you have third-party assessment organizations that verify all the requirements across all five levels, meet the standard that is going to protect the soldiers who are on the battlefield working to protect the country and our interests and our allies. Thank you very much. Talk about level setting what we're talking about. I appreciate that. I, that's why I picked statement number one, because I knew we would get all the basic vocabulary on the table. Thank you, Keon. Kang Lim? I'm going to dare to ask you agree or disagree, but we want to hear your take on what Kian shared. Go ahead, Kang. No, I think I agree. So I think that what, what I would say is uh, other than compliance, right, the core of CMMC, I think it, it goes down to what I call cyber readiness, cyber hygiene, cyber readiness, and, you know, encourage people. And, and in this case, I guess you are mandated to put in control in place, right? Uh, to be able to protect and safeguard what is considered data that is subject to national security, right? Uh, you know, the data that actually keep, you know, so-called uh, troops safe. So it's, to some extent, DOD does it based on necessity. But I think the objective at the end of it is a good one, and it's beyond doing business with DOD, I think, right? Because you get a company, like I said, you know, start thinking about, putting the control in place, automating the control, most importantly, to be able to protect and safeguard what is critical data that's you know, coming from DOD. But the same control that if you implement it will be applied to yourself to be able to protect your company's intellectual property, your company trade secret, right? Therefore, make your business a lot more ready uh, to be able to deal with the future. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping you would take it because that was part of your first statement, King. So I appreciate that. Expanding it out from just government contracts. Anne-Marie, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both of the other speakers? I agree with both of them. And I I guess I would add that I heard a Mm -hmm. Department of Mm -hmm. Defense official speak on CMMC about a year and a half ago. And it was interesting. I I think Kian did a great job of uh, focusing on protecting the military. That from a weapons standpoint, but um, the, the person I heard speak also said, hey, this applies to food trucks coming on the base, you know, so it's applying to people and information that you may not think of being controlled, unclassified information, sensitive information, but um, when that food truck comes on the base, what's in that food truck, you know, that also impacts the safety of our, our, of our military. And so that's an example of how it does expand out. And I would also say, as um, Kang mentioned, that it, it expands down the supply chain. Um, and people may not know that this is coming because, you know, once the DOD suppliers start putting it in place, they're gonna have to look at where else they need to secure their supply chain. And so this is gonna trickle down to many commercial um, companies that may not even know about it yet. 
Thank you very much, all three of you. Uh, Keon, I'm going to ask you to comment on anything you want to that King and or Anne-Marie said, but I'm going to make a statement here first. If you watch any of the thriller movies today or spy TV shows, detective shows, you see this, right? You see in the imagination of the creator, which is likely based on on something that really happened. Uh, somebody infiltrating or, or uh, a secret getting out or, or a, a malware getting into a system through something as unsuspecting as, as look, if you watch this, there's a British show called Hustle. And, and they impersonate people all the time. They go into mm-hmm. businesses. Hi, I'm here to check the XYZ. They're in a uniform. They have a name tag. They change names on doors. They go in. It happens all the time. It's with us. It's here. Keon, anything you want to say back to your co-panelists? Go ahead. Well, I think we're all in agreement. The thing that I would highlight that we didn't touch on in a lot of detail is that it's not just about technical controls. And so, again, mm-hmm. using Sarbanes-Oxley as an example, there are a lot of boxes that you end up checking. The thing that I like about the cyber maturity model certification is that they're focusing on business practices and technical controls. And so if you do this right, at whatever level that you achieve compliance for, you're really changing your organizational culture and getting everybody in the company integrated into the security ecosystem Mm -hmm. rather than just having one person ultimately accountable for everything that happens. And I think that's going to be a positive outcome overall. Thank you. I mean, we can't blame Bob. Oh, we don't have a Bob. I'm sorry. Bob, I just he, picked that He's name. over at account tips. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I just picked Bob. Okay, forgive me, Bob, whoever you are. I'm sorry. It's his fault. King, I'm going to go to your statement number two. I think this is important. Talking about culture, you say early preparation is key. Businesses should begin taking immediate steps to clearly document practices and procedures already in place that already comply with CMMC practices or processes. I'm going to stop there because there's a lot more here. Kang, why don't you take us through this early preparation? And is it still early or is it never too late to catch up? We say that with a lot of these rules. We said that with GDPR. It's never too late to get started. So Kang, go ahead. Take me through this. Yeah, that's true. I think that statement probably, you know, was was accurate maybe two years ago. But anyway, like you say, it's never too late, right? So Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, but the, the statement is really about most company already have some process in place. I mean, you, you have to have process in place about, you know, what data do you share? You know, where data are coming from, right? Uh, and who do you sharing data with? So, um, you know, so, and knowing what is considered, you know, so-called federal contract informations and knowing what is controlled unclassified informations are now becoming sort of like the new lingo that you now need to start to pay attention to, you know, not just, you know, your customer data. So you now need to put in place a process to identify what data is coming from DOD, what data is coming from the federal contract agencies, you know, so, so likelihood is you have, you may have those many processes in place, right? So I think the first thing to do is start to understand and analyze what processes you are doing inside the company. Get them documented, right? And once you get them documented, you start to now look at the gap. What is missing? What are the gap that is you know, in our current processes and put a plan together to start to now add or address those gaps, right? So that's really step one is really to be able to understand your business processes, know where the gap, 
and then start to now look at, you know, what are those processes or control that um, that Kian was talking about that you need to start to automate. And I think this way CMMC uh, actually could be helpful because it now provides a blueprint because CMMC does refer to and uses standard from NIST, like for example, NIST, uh, you know, S, you know, 800-171 and, uh, you know, NIST uh, 800-53. Those are actually very good blueprint. Uh, they'll help company. Uh, you know, it actually is very prescriptive in the sense it actually lay out the type of control that you need to put in place, uh, help you, you know, define what is FCI and what is uh, CUI uh, data, for example. So once, you know, once you start to, uh, you know, uh, I guess lay out a process and, and put a practice in place, it start to now become the foundation to start to think about what control to automate and how to automate them and start to make it, you know, be, become more of a company-wide culture. You know, and with the documentation, of course, you can start to now communicate to your workforce and start to now educate them about, you know, how and, you know, I guess what, how and why. Thank you. What, how, and why? And the why is probably the question that's the biggest one is why Why should we? Why should we do something different? Why should we add this extra level? Anne-Marie Colombo, I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with King. Go ahead. I, I agree. I agree. I think it's uh, foundational. As he said, I think building that culture of security is important, putting that those controls in place around the processes. And I think, think it's important. It's um, from a disruption to your business to do this, it, that's why it's foundational. I think that uh, from a CFO perspective, thinking about what would happen if, um, you know, forget the certification, just putting and closing those gaps so that you're managing the risk because what would happen if your business was disrupted, if you had some sort of breach? There's many different costs that come into play there that, that and the fact that your business is disrupted and maybe you can't mm-hmm. uh, run your manufacturing plant if you're on the um, manufacturing side, you know, how long can your plant be closed? How many millions of dollars might that cost you if the plant's closed for two weeks and you can't, you can't manufacture or sell product because you had some kind of breach similar to what you just mentioned earlier, Bonnie, about the, um, the gasoline uh, shortage that we're currently experiencing here in the Southeast. So Thank you. I think it's all foundational. Thank yeah. you very much. All good points, Anne-Marie. Let's go to Kian. Join us. Thoughts on what King proposed and or what Anne-Marie added. Go ahead. So I agree and I agree. Uh, the <laughs> thing that I agree about from what Kang said is that um, early preparation is a really good idea because most people don't recognize that if you're building a CMMC program from scratch, assuming that you have nothing or you have an immature security program in general, it takes about 18 to 24 months to do this, going from nothing to something that is going to satisfy the requirements of the auditor and the regulator, which then goes to my agreement with Anne-Marie. Most organizations are not going to stop their core business processes to only focus on accomplishing a regulatory requirement. And so you have to start planning in advance so that you can integrate the adoption and the maturation of your security program in conjunction with whatever it is that you're in business to do. And so if we're producing widgets, we can't stop producing widgets. So for compliance, we have to continue producing widgets and 
add to the environment or to the organization or to our culture, whatever we need to achieve the compliance requirement. The other thing that I'll add is that the auditors, the third party, the uh, certified third party assessment organization, they call them C3PAO. Those third party assessment organizations are going to be looking for evidence that you have a program in place. And so if you just flipped a switch and threw a lot of money at the problem for GDPR or for SOX or for PCI, you don't have the opportunity to do this with CMMC because you have to demonstrate that you've had something in place over time and that there's history and audit records and findings and other information that represent a program, not just that you've checked a bunch of boxes for compliance. And all of these things could lead to business disruption. All of them reinforce the idea that advanced preparation is the key to success. Thank you. You didn't just say C3PO from Star Wars, did you? No, it's a <laughs> certified third-party <laughs> assessment organization. I was going to lie. I said, wait a minute, that sounds to me. Okay, beep, 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 beep. Thank you. I'm sorry, Kia. <laughs> I have absolutely no sense of humor. Kang, respond to the two. They already agreed with you, but anything you'd like to add? No, I think, I think uh, in fact, uh, Keon just brought in a very important point, which is most companies likely already solve this problem once before, if not multiple times. You know, example, right, GDPR, privacy, you know, uh, example, HIPAA, example, Sabin Oxley. So, uh, you know, the only difference is what they need to be compliant to and the type of data that they need to safeguard are different. So SARS is a lot about financial data. You know, HIPAA is about, you know, medical information, right? Uh, you know, GDPR or PII is about personal data. So, you know, so for CMMC, it's just a different data. is FCI, right? You know, federal contract information is a COI, you know, you know essentially, uh, control unclassified information and happen to be a lot of those data tends to be related to, you know, your product, your technology, and how you actually produce and manufacture, uh, you know, those products. So fundamentally, if you already have program in place for GDPR for addressing SOCs, and you already have program in place to automate control to be able to protect data, you can very lightly expand on those programs to be able now address, you know, CMMC. Thank you very much. Good round all around the table. King, thank you for that statement. And Marie, I've picked your statement number three, which we haven't quite covered yet. Let me read as just one line, ask you to unpack it, expand it. You say application level security is often missed as companies typically think about network and infrastructure security when they think about their cybersecurity efforts. Anne-Marie, take us through this, please. Yes, I, I um, mentioned that because um, many times sensitive data is kept in the business application uh, that you're running your business on rather than the network infrastructure layer that there's a lot of um, experience and controls out there from a company standpoint, usually many of the, the, the companies that I've uh, spoken to in the past have network controls down. And the problem is that the application is where the sensitive data is kept and the controls in that area and the visibility into that area is not always um, evident. So if you put additional controls in at the application level, 
you can get visibility into what's happening at that application level around your most critical data, which is typically where it lives in the application. And uh, this can help you put in place defense in depth type of um, scenarios so that you are protecting that critical data where it lives inside the application rather than at, at the network and infrastructure layer. And I think um, CMMC, when you think about level four and five um, for the DOD, they're asking um, the big suppliers to look at level four, or I should say the big suppliers should be looking at level four and five because of APT, advanced persistent threats, which, you know, if they get into the application and they're not visible at the network layer, they can move where your sensitive data is across the applications laterally, and it can be very difficult to find them if you don't have some sort of controls around and visibility into your application environment. Thank you very much. Very interesting, Anne-Marie. Keon, you happen to be virtually sitting next to Anne-Marie at this moment in time. I get to say that. So please add your thought leadership, agree or disagree with Anne-Marie. Go ahead, Keon. Well, so as much as I love Anne-Marie, I'm going to agree and disagree. Ah. Good. Um, I I think for most organizations, especially considering we have a lot of financial executives in the audience, most organizations are not going to be required to be certified higher than level three. So level three should be the baseline that everybody's targeting, because if you have to go to a higher level, your DOD partner is going to tell you in advance you must do this. Mm -hmm. And so with that said, if people are thinking about and adopting Kang's recommendation that you prepare in advance, everybody should prepare for level three because it's the happy medium. It's not too little, it's not too much. It's right in the sweet spot. Now, where I agree with Anne-Marie is I think that organizations need to consider where is all of the data that is subject to this regulation going to exist and a lot of people overlook their applications and how they're interacting with data. But if we put it in financial terms, you know, imagine that we have a safe and the safe is where we have all of our gold bars. You generally separate the gold bars in the safe from the petty cash that's in the register or from what the bankers are doing at the teller station. And so understanding how you're going to separate data within the organization is an important part of the conversation. Most organizations don't have gold bars but you do have assets and information that exists in different locations and putting some thought into where is data going to go? How are we going to protect it? How do we classify it so we know how important it is? All of that is gonna be part of the decision process, which takes us back to what Kang highlighted. You have to start preparing for this. You can't just jump in, flip a switch and achieve success. Thank you very much, Kang. We're up to you. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. So uh, I think agree that level three is well. Before you get to level four and level five, you got to get get to level three, and mm-hmm. I, you know, so so level three is probably where the most essential foundation once you put together become mostly. I would say level three will get you to be cyber ready. Um, you know, so four and five will get you to be more advanced cyber ready. Uh, the point that I, would, I want to emphasize or I want to expand on from Anne-Marie's comment is, uh, you know, how do you now, so, you know, if application is where most of the data are being managed, right, what kind of control, you know, and how easy can those control be put in, right? So the good news is 
you know, if you are using some application to run your business, which almost every company does, uh, and 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 you know, and for example, if you're using an ERP, for example, right, uh, which is again most what most companies use to operate their manufacturing facility, to run, to manage a financial application, to manage their orders. So those application already does a good job, right? Keeping track of your data. So that means that you can very easily, right, be able to leverage whatever is there to be able to determine and identify and classify what is FCI data and what is COI data, which is one of the three essential control. So if you if you you know if you go back to level three, I would say, you know the you know, if you want to if you want to automate the control to protect your data, there are there are essentially three simple steps. Step one is identify, classify, and track your data, right? Uh, which I just talked about. So if you're using some kind of application, most likely those applications, that's a good job. So you just need to go in there and un- identify, understand what are those data. So two is you got to be able to now prevent unauthorized access of those data, right? Which means that you now need to implement some kind of security control to make sure that you have a way to determine who is supposed to access what kind of data, right? So, and having proper safeguarding in place, like making sure that you have, you know, using proper authentication, you know, single sign-on or two-factor authentication, as well as the ability to be able to, you know, have the proper access control in place to make sure that the right people, right, or the wrong people doesn't get access to those CUI data. And finally, the step three is, to be able to now create and 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 and, and retain the audit information of who have access to the CUI data, right? So that you can actually now properly go back and say, well, we can assure, right, that indeed the critical CUI data are now being accessed by the right people. So the good news is most of those control can be easily added to your applications. Thank you, Kang. Very appreciative. And I noticed that you covered all the points in your statement number four, which I was <laughs> I was going to get to. And I'm like, you summarized them. I'm watching. I'm saying, wait, that's statement number four, point one, two. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anne-Marie, talk back to them. Anything you want to say? We a little yeah, contrarian. I, I agree and disagree back um, okay. to <laughs> and Kang. Uh, so I, I do agree that level three is the the uh, where everybody's trying to get to the good um, scenario that's that's spelled out in CMMC. Everybody is and should try to get to level three, unless you know, as Kian mentioned earlier, maybe their data um, dictates that they only need level one or two. But I do think that being um, aspirational and looking towards the future and thinking about uh, the biggest threat to our nation is these advanced persistent threats. And so making sure that you're doing that defense in depth across the board, at least uh, from a future vision perspective, so that you, you have that as a vision if you have to have it, because I think um, the, 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 direct suppliers, the DOD contractors are going to have to step it up at some point. And so it, again, being prepared and thinking about the future early is important. 
Thank you very much. Really good comments around the table. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for a great statement. We have time to squeeze in one more. I'm going to statement number four from Keon. And Keon, this is important because it takes a broader view. You say, like strategic planning, the process for achieving certification is more important. The process is more important than the result because Everyone in the organization must participate in the management of cybersecurity risk. That's like saying your brand, I recently had a guest who said the brand operates at the edge of a company. Everybody who works for you is part of your brand evangelism, your brand advocacy. They represent who you are, even at the outpost, even the cashier, even the person who answers the phones. So you're saying the process is important. This is a a big change management issue, I would think, Keon. So could you address this, please, briefly? We have eight minutes left. To the show, we have time for even one go around. Go ahead, Keon. Sure. The the short version for this long story is really that to do cybersecurity model certification properly, everybody has to understand the important questions. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Where is our data? How do we protect it? So who, what, when, where, why, how, and how much, and to what extent? We can extrapolate and go deeper and deeper into the conversation. But the management of risk is a business decision. And the financing and the budget and the endorsement and driving the entire organization in the direction that's necessary doesn't really come from your technical people or from your security people. It comes from your leadership. And so if leadership is accustomed to doing strategic planning where everybody comes together and has a conversation and comes to an agreement, that same positive outcome where strategic planning has everybody yell and fight and throw tomatoes and come to an agreement. And oh, by the way, we have this cool document called the strategic plan. You produce a similar outcome with CMMC where everybody has come together. They understand the risk. They understand what's required. They understand the budget that's necessary. But the key word in my conversation is understanding. When all of the major stakeholders understand what is required to be able to continue to do business with the Department of Defense, I think that's going to be much better than the certification because it leads to that organizational transformation. Thank you very much. The transformation is what I was looking for. Thank you, Keon. Let's go around the table. Agree or disagree? We have a few minutes. Kang, what do you think? So agree if the mindset is transformational. Uh, Disagree if the mindset is simply a change management. (laughs) Um, So I think it's important that because historically, a lot of people view cybersecurity as a insurance policy, right? It's okay, well, until it hit me, it's somebody else's problems, right? So I think that mindset needs to get changed. So it changed from... You know, instead of just an insurance policy, you now need to think about survival. It's about growing my business. It's about generating revenue. It's about my profit margins as compared to it's a cost centers. It's a change management. Although, you know, I think fundamentally in order to increase cyber hygiene, in order to, to build a so-called cyber awareness, it does require a fundamental cultural change across the companies. So I think often cultural change require some, what I call some kind of breakthrough besides just, you know, well, how do we put certain change management process in place, right? So, um, so there, is, there will be, right, there will be some transformational factor that you have to apply or inject into the so-called culture of the companies. But at the same time, 
you know, CFO need to start to look at this a bit differently, which is less about, you know, risk management. Well, it is about risk management, but it's not all about risk management, but rather about how do you actually grow a business? How do you actually increase your profit margins? So I think that's one factor there, right? Um, at the same time, you know, if, you know, go back to my, my, my first statement, uh, is that, it, that, a, that a business that is cyber ready is future ready, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and tie back to what we talked about earlier, that CMMC is, is unlikely to be the first program that you implement, you know, for your business to be able to safeguard data, right? So, so if you tie it all around, so essentially you can actually create a transformational programs that can help elevate cyber hygiene, cyber readiness, as well as change the culture about the need to be able to protect data that's critical to your business. At the same time, you know, allow your business to grow, allow your business to be able to prosper way into the future. Thank you. I like the word future in there. Anne-Marie, quick comment. I have a minute for you, and then we're going to do a crystal ball prediction round real, real fast. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Okay, just I, real quick, I think that uh, from a CFO perspective, you do have to keep the focus on the business side of it. So what's those strategic objectives around uh, risk related to your business? So uh, yes, level three is probably where you need to look at from a CMMC perspective to get started. But all risk management should be prioritized based on the objectives of what the business needs um, to run the business. And CMMC is just a tool and a framework. Good point. Thank you. Good wrap-up point. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I have time barely for a 45-second crystal ball prediction Mm -hmm. from each of you. Here are the rules. One, no politics. Two, you could do a sports prediction if you're tired of talking about CMMC, or we could do CMC. So my position Mm -hmm. is, if we met one year from today, May 18th, whatever day of the week that is, 2022, OMG, what would we be saying about CMMC? Would everybody have already been doing it? Would it be like, what? We never got there. Keon Williams, I'm giving you 30 seconds. Go. Predict. By October 2025, when this is an obligation and no longer an idea, 20 to 30% of businesses that provide services to the Department of Defense are no longer going to be in business because they haven't met the requirement. Whoa. Kang Lim, prediction. <laughs> Go ahead. Kang, you can just agree with his if you want. Okay. Kang? I'm, I'm going to pile on. I'm going to pile on Keon's uh, comment. I'm going to predict that we are going to see a total collapse of a first Fortune 1000 company caused by cybercrime within three years. Wow. A total collapse. Feature movie headlines. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I watch a lot of these shows. Anne-Marie, go ahead. Prediction. 20 seconds. Mine's much more modest. For 2022, <laughs> I think that we will have some success with CMMC, and uh, it's been out there now for a, a couple of years. People have been striving towards it, and I think in 2022, you will see some success starting to happen, and uh, then we'll see all these disasters unfold that um, Keon and Kang have predicted. Disasters, uh, thank you. Leaving that note on a disaster note. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for a really good series where they kill off their characters every two seasons, it's called MI5 or Spooks in the in the U.S. Uh, great great uh, cyber 
anti-terrorism unit of the British government. Very, very interesting. I watch a lot of TV. Mm. Keon Williams at Class LLC. Love the name of how you came to your company name, by the way. Such a pleasure to meet you, Keon. Kang Lim, Next Labs. Always delighted to have you on the show. So much good information. And Marie Colombo, you're a delight to have. And so good. So much information. I appreciate it. Shout out to Birgit Starmans, Chris Grundy, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP, who have renewed this series again this year for the 10th season. They're with me. This is one of our most popular shows of all the Game Changer series. I've created over 48 different series for SAP in the past 10 years. And I still think people listen to Financial Excellence because they think they're going to get stock tips of where to buy the cheapest gas. But leave that alone and checking account. I want to say thank you also to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. He used to be 40 years old. No, he used to be 12 when he started with me. Now he's 50. Well, we'll do the math later on. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Keon J. Williams, just like Kang Lim, just like Anne Marie Colombo. And my car is now getting one month to the gallon, almost back to normal. Here we go. Everybody say goodbye. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Financial yeah. Excellence with Game Bye. Changers. Bye-bye. Talk Bye. soon. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. 